0: through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. Good morning. Who's here? (laughs) Some are here-ish. I love asking that question, even of myself. Am I here? Or are we kind of, kind of here? And how rarely we're actually completely where we are. To me, this is why all the hoopla is really just designed to, so that we can pay attention. So all of the ceremony and in Zen you know, we love ceremony, mostly so that we can actually begin to realize that our life is a ceremony, which we rarely do. We really see each moment, each glance, picking up something, putting something on. We rarely see that as a moment of ceremony to be at one with and be nowhere else. Today is also the 12th day of our practice period, which is called Zen Wisdom for Everyday Living. Mm -hmm. And we're studying a text by Kodo Sawaki, who is a very um, wild and pragmatic teacher. complex and simple kind of like everyone I've ever met (laughs) totally different from all others and yet not that different at all and actually it's interesting there have been some talk in the practice period about that you know he's very patriarchal and people also are saying that you know well he only taught monks but actually neither of those things are particularly true for what he actually does was was teaching mostly to lay people and mostly to lay women he really valued going out and just talking to folks being with folks His name often is called Homeless Kodo because he didn't really particularly enjoy temple life, even though he was the abbot of several temples. (laughs) An ambivalent leader, you could say, which to me is often sometimes the best kind of leader, one who doesn't want to be the leader or need to be seen as the leader. Really more in service of the Dharma than me. So refreshing. In the text for today, it says in the world, this is from kodosowaki He says, in the world, it's always about winning or losing, plus or minus. Yet in Zazen, it's about nothing. (laughs) This is why Zen is so unpopular. It really is, because it's, you know, many other meditation traditions or mindfulness, you know, like they're always telling you what you're going to get you have a lower heart rate or better cholesterol. <laughs> he says, it's good for nothing and that's why it's the greatest. <laughs> and most all inclusive thing there is because you don't get anything because you experience being everything, that there's nothing that you're not. And to me, this is the beauty of practice is that we practice so that we can be nowhere else. And learning how to trust the moments when we're nowhere else. Rather than our fear of commitment, rather than our fear of some terrible thing happening again. Some of you know that I had this for about three months in the fall. I had this. Terrible infection that was. I had like these egg sized cysts, just to give you the image under my arms that were excruciatingly painful like i would howl whenever they were touched so i had to walk around like hello like i actually got used to like putting my hands on my hip and just feeling like that feeling and eventually i saw many doctors and and i was diagnosed with these terrible things that were you know that One person was like, you are going to have this for the rest of your life. And this is how it's going to be. And I was like, "Okay, well, that's that's an orientation. And then I finally went to this one doctor who she was like, that's not true. (laughs) She's like, they're not paying attention. She's like, if you really look at what you have, It's not that they're just assuming because the general symptoms are that. But if you really pay attention. And so she was able to, you know, deal with it. And finally, those cysts went away. Which felt like a deep blessing. And also, an experience of we have no idea what people are dealing with in their bodies. Like most people had no idea I was in excruciating pain most of the time. Excruciating. Waking up in the night crying and howling, you know, it's like. hmm. And then this morning, so this is months ago, I was in the gym and as some of you know, I, I love slaying the Stairmaster. So I was like, you know, I'm the Stairmaster for an hour this morning. So exciting. And, uh, and then I was doing some strength exercises and, and I was just doing this one exercise and I saw under my arm that I thought I saw something. It was just such a fascinating and horrible moment. And I just got terrified. I had this moment of terror. It's come back. And then I realized I just like put the weights down and looked, and it was like, no, that's not actually. It was just a shadow. literally, from the light. But I think it's just really, to me, it was a very powerful moment of practice of just like, instead of just saying, oh my god, oh my god, this is what's going to happen. Oh, it's a shadow. And let me look closer. And then to appreciate, you know, like there are so many teachings in our tradition about the depth of those kinds of moments. One of the most famous is like that story of a, you know, a monk running on a mountain road and a little path and seeing like a snake in the ground it goes, ah, and then he looks at it and he realizes it's just a piece of rope. And how many times do we live like that when there is a shadow of something and we make it into something else and actually leave when we do that, we're not where we are anymore. We're not present. And you could say that we're creating harm, harming ourselves, and potentially harming others. How often do you live by what you fear is going to happen? Hmm. Hmm. Dogen Zenji, the founder of our school, uh, on this precept of non-killing, which we'll be exploring this afternoon in the precept study. So this is the seventh precept. It's often called the first precept, but that's a misunderstanding. The first is non-killing of the 10 grave precepts. And he says, life is non-killing. The seed of Buddha grows continuously Maintain the wisdom life of Buddha and do not kill life. So just from his point of view, like that life is non-killing. So if you were alive, and the way that I experienced that is kind of in that moment when I put those little dumbbells down and like looked under my arm, I was like, what is that? That's alive. The moment before that, when I was just like, <gasps> it's almost like a little death. There's this, uh, there's a, the Hebrew word for truth, I believe is Aleph Bet hey. Kosen. <laughs> huh? Aleph Mentaf. Aleph men taf. yeah, sorry. But it's, it means truth. And if you take the Aleph away, the first letter, it means death. So interesting. When is it the truth? What is truth? Mm. To me, truth is what is life giving. Mm. The seed of Buddha grows continuously. How are you actually fostering the conditions in your life for the seed of Buddha, which is to be awake, to be nowhere else? What about when you're distracted? What can you do in those moments? Anyone ever been distracted? few of you, but some of you haven't which is rather remarkable. <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing, many of us, you know, well, I like I hear about it. And I know it in myself, we can kind of assume that a moment when we're distracted, we're like, Oh, see, I'm bad at it. I'm bad at meditation. I'm bad at whatever because we're still in this like binary situation. But for me, whenever we're in the binary, it's hard for the seed of Buddha to grow because most extremes are not necessarily what's true. It's really helpful to really, to me, examine our mind and how we tend to <laughs> jumping microphone. how we tend to move away from our discomfort. Because we like to feel a certain way. We want to be around with other people. Who think the same way we do? Mostly because it's uncomfortable often to be with people who we don't necessarily agree with. <laughs> In college, I. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is I have this I was in a frat which was very exciting for for the time that it was and uh, and there's this guy who I love so much and he was like this massive bodybuilder and like super extreme other political position <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> and we used to love the deep joy. We would, so he was like this like freaking huge, like massive dude. And we would go out for these long dinners and just talk and exchange and really listen to each other. It was so wonderful. We had such a good time. Thursday nights. Hmm. To me, like that fosters the seed of Buddha to grow continuously. But it requires deep respect from both sides. Right. So yeah, I, I went on to respect your view and learn. Otherwise, we can be very harmful. The seed of Buddha grows continuously, whether we're aware of it or not. And yet, The last thing he says is maintain the wisdom life of buddha and do not kill life so in other words you must put the effort in so many of us you know have this you know hear about this very very often like well I feel good in the zendo or when I show up at this place But then, when I'm not here, what happens? It all goes out the window. Very popular. In many ways, because we're not maintaining the wisdom life. We're not even considering, is the way I'm thinking right now actually wise is it kind is it compassionate is are my words kind compassionate and wise it's such a wonderful thing to reflect on are my actions wise are they fostering the seed of buddha of an awakened life an awakened mind an awakened society how do you foster that Hmm? how do you be nowhere else Is this one thing so i was reading yesterday in our um, catch your mind we're studying we were studying this past month busho which is one of Dogen zenji's uh, beautiful one of his first teachings so he wrote Fukan zenji right when he came back from china and then he wrote the Genjo koan and then busho at koshoji which she San just visited. Yeah. Dogen's first monastery. Hmm. He says many students hearing the term Buddha nature have falsely reckoned that it is like the I in other paths. So it's like more about me. Mm-hmm. My Buddha nature don't you see it you know it's like we often are into that right this self indulgence they're saying it's not that this is not about increasing the me our ego and he says this is because they have not met a person They have not met themselves. They have not seen a teacher. So, to me, the beauty of this practice of nurturing that Buddha seed, which is continuously growing. This instruction is so clear. He's saying we can't really do it if we're not meeting a person, not meeting ourselves, and not meeting a teacher. And yet it is also possible if we learn how to actually see other people, actually see them, actually see ourselves, and actually having a teacher so beautiful so clear so simple we just make it complicated so how do you meet your fear and determine whether it is something to actually be afraid of Like, maybe you're on the mountain path, and it is a snake. (laughs) That also happens. I once hiked on Rattlesnake Hill, and let me tell you, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of rattlesnakes. (laughs) So it's also important to remember that. So it's not to say that there aren't things to be aware of. But most of the things we're afraid of are just keeping us from nurturing the Buddha seed. And knowing the difference only happens in my experience when we're really nowhere else. Like you're actually in the Zendo. You're actually in the Zumdo. is a great gift, and it feels mostly awesome.